I don't want liquid death. It's overpriced. Liquid death is is should be on the scaminator section of our oh, website. It's so good. No, no, liquid we death is not a liquid. sponsor. They could be though. They you have imagine tons of money because they charge marketing. five dollars for a can of water. Support local artists. Oh, love it. Yeah, it's so good. With the four dollars I save <laughs> buying regular water, I can support a lot of local artists. All right, welcome back to SwitchCast. We're going to transition to automotive talk now instead of making fun of overpriced water. So sorry if you're a fan of that crap. But uh, anyway, thank you for joining us tonight. I am your host, Doug Tabbitt, here with Tyler Sanders behind the microphone and uh, Ethan Huffnagel making sure everything goes well or as well as it can be uh, uh, with (laughs) Spectrum super reliable service. We've been all right so far. Yes, we have been all right this season. Um, And... And this is this season we are talking about the things you need to know when you're buying and selling cars and owning cars. And we're talking about different topics to help you get the most out of your vehicle ownership, to enjoy it the most, to keep your expenses down and overall just uh, not get hurt too much. And we're having a lot of fun. Last week, we talked about the 10 things that you really shouldn't ask or don't need to ask when you're buying a car. And they weren't just, uh, I guess, pet peeve questions that salesmen get because they don't like answering them, but questions that I've found over uh, the, the couple decades I've been doing this to just be absolutely pointless. You don't need to ask them. They don't get you to, to where you need to be in buying a car. So this week, we're going to follow up and talk about the questions you should ask when you're buying a car. Now, the main point of uh, the questions you don't need to ask was that they are indirect questions. They're, they're operating based off of false assumptions that... Uh, certain metrics like mileage or number of owners or length of time owning a car speaks to the condition of the car. And I have found statistically that there is no correlation. And But people operate with false assumptions all the time when they're looking at cars. And so we're going to try to address the questions that get directly to the heart of what you actually want to know, which is, is this car going to be what I'm looking for, what I expect or what I want? And am I going to get the title? <laughs> right. That's an important one. Um the, the the tough part about this, it was way easier to come up with the 10 questions you don't need to ask than to come up with the ones that you do need to ask. Because the, the, the point is that there really are no silver bullet questions. You could ask 3,000 questions and still get screwed over because somebody either doesn't know how to describe a car properly or they're really good at lying. Um so there is no substitute for seeing the car in person or having somebody as qualified or more qualified than yourself look at the car as well. And that goes into a, a whole nother can of worms like we talked about a few weeks ago regarding pre-purchase inspections and, and whether or not they have value or where the value lies. So there's a, there's a lot that goes into buying cars properly, um, but you know, as a as a dealer, I used to kind of always get frustrated with the guy who wanted to place a deposit and then fly out and bring his friend and have a pre-purchase inspection done. And I'm like, come on, man, like I'm I, I'm telling you what the car is. But from a buyer's perspective, I think I actually totally respect that person because I think that's the best way to do is you can't trust any one tool exclusively. You can't trust a Carfax. You can't trust a dealer's reputation. You can't trust the questions you ask. You can't trust a PPI. No single tool is effective for making sure you get a good car. You have to use all of the tools in your belt. So, Without further ado, let's get into some of the questions that are really important to ask, and I'm going to contrast them to the questions we touched on last week that you don't need to ask. So one of the questions was, was it serviced at a dealer? And again, if you want to know why those questions are irrelevant, you can go back and listen to last week's episode. But a better question to ask is, what service records do you have? That is a specific question, and it gets to the heart of the issue, which is, was the car actually properly maintained and taken care of? And do you have proof of that? 
Now, service records only go to give an indication of what a car currently is, right? You can have a bad car with a huge stack of service records and you can have a good car with no records because the person lost them in a fire or in a divorce or whatever. Um, But it is certainly, at least from a distance, a really good tool to get an idea of how the car was maintained. Um, So if you have a good service history file and you can review review it before purchase, it's a really good way without seeing the car um, to, to get an idea of how the car was taken care of. But the important aspect to that question is it's a very specific, direct question with uh, a non-subjective answer, right? If they say, oh, I just have a couple oil changes, then you know, you know your answer. That doesn't mean the car wasn't serviced, but you at least have an idea of what is available for you to review. But if they have a stack of records for the last 20 years, well, that's a a quantitative answer and you know what you're actually looking at and you have something to review. Then following up on that, you need to ask specific maintenance questions. So you wouldn't ask, well, was it serviced? Um, I, I think just recently I asked a guy about tires on his car and he goes, yeah, I, I, you know, I think they're pretty recent. I think they're like three or four years old. I said, okay, great. Can you check that for me? And so one of the questions, uh, leading to that would be, what are the date codes on the tires? Not how recent are they? Um, and so he looked them up and it turns out they weren't four or five years old. They were from 2013. So they were 10 years old. So he was going off of memory. But when I pushed for a specific answer to a question that was, you know, could be quantified, he had to look and verify and find out that the tires were 10 years old. So it's like, okay, well, now I know one I guess there's a number of assumptions you can take from that. One, it probably wasn't driven hard because the tires are 10 years old. Two, the guy didn't service it that much because the tires are 10 years old. Three, it needs tires. I mean, honestly, that's really the only thing you can, you know, unequivocally learn from that is it needs tires. (laughs) The rest, again, are just assumptions, Uh, reasonable assumptions, but, you know, I you can't assume anything. The guy could have put track tires on it and swapped out the wheels and put these on the shelf for, you know, any number of things. So um, another good question is what exactly was serviced in the last three years? Because recent service is far more important than what was done 20 years ago. Uh, The car could have had a new engine 20 years ago, and it really doesn't matter unless you're looking at, you know, collector value and you want all matching numbers. But, you know, the new engine 20 years ago doesn't mean a thing if the guy hasn't changed the oil in 19 years, paging Mustang owners. Um, So you want to know specifics. What was done, when and what was the last service? both mileage and time. Ferrari guys are famous for this because, you know, when you're buying a Ferrari, you want to make sure that the timing belt and tensioners were done. Typically, they are a three to five year increment depending on the car. And guys are famous for saying, well, it was done within the last thousand miles, but Ferraris never get driven. So a thousand miles ago could have been 10 years ago. (laughs) And if they tell you the mileage, but not the year, you know that it's way out of range. So again, specific questions. When, what mileage was the last service? What was done? Who cares where it was done, but what was done? Do you have receipts to prove it? Uh, So again, going down into the nitty gritty of specifics to try to determine how the car was taken care of, rather than asking roundabout questions that lead to assumptions that don't actually give you an answer to what you want to know. Another big one, does it have a clean Carfax? Now, that's not a question we touched on last week, but it is kind of an irrelevant question. One, because you can pull your own Carfax, but two, it doesn't answer the question you actually want the answer to, which is, does it have a history of paintwork or damage repair? There are innumerable cars out on the market that have been painted, have been damaged, that have a perfectly clean Carfax. It could have been damaged on track. It could have been in a parking lot and no police report was filed. Somebody uh, didn't want it to be on Carfax or didn't want a ding on their insurance, so they paid it out of pocket. Uh, It was done at a dealership in the lot. And of course, they're not going to want to file an insurance claim, so they just fix it in their own body shop. 
thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of cars out there with paintwork or damage repair anywhere from major to minor that doesn't show up on Carfax. So you want to ask specifically, is there any history of paintwork or damage repair either during your ownership or prior? Now, that's a tough one with private owners because a lot of them just don't know how to call it. And if they bought the car from somebody else, they probably didn't ask that question. They just got a Carfax and figured it was good. Um, But it's at least a specific question and you're forcing the seller to tell the truth or lie blatantly. Um, And I think it's a lot easier for sellers to omit things that are negative than to lie outright. So if you, a lot of people operate under the assumption that Um, if you don't ask that it's not their responsibility to tell you. And that certainly does go along with the principle of caveat emptor. It is the buyer's responsibility to verify what they need to know on a car before they make a purchase. But there are some laws governing dealers in some states and maybe even private parties regarding disclosure of prior damage, especially significant damage uh, and or paintwork. So if you ask them the question, you're forcing them to make an ethical decision, say, am I actually going to boldface lie about this or am I going to tell the truth? And that's uh, I think it's a lot harder for people to lie outright than to just admit things. So get down to the nitty gritty of things, force people to answer direct questions about the condition of the car. So with that, to follow up on that, we're going to go to our shrewd negotiator segment of the week. Uh, and this is brought to you by Vin Wiki from, from whence the term comes. And this was, a. Uh, I don't mean to totally out this guy, but there's a Porsche 996 GT3 listed for sale on Facebook and on a few other places. And it was a car we had sold previously, which is why we were intimate with the knowledge of this car. And uh, the car had lived its life on the track from basically 2005 to 2020. Uh, It was maintained by the best shop on the planet, but it also had a, a short flight. Um, and got a little bit of a damage when it landed. So it was, it was a little bit almost as rough a ride as a, as a spirit flight. But um, yeah, and a little more expensive too. Anyway, so it, it was disclosed when we sold it. It was actually still archived on our website and on the GT Vault page. There was about $200,000 worth of service records, and that was included in the service records. So it was like everywhere, right? And the guy had actually offered me the car and um, I had responded that, you know, the offer I gave him was based on the history of the car, having lived its life on the track and having had prior damage. And he's like, yeah, okay, no, thanks, because my offer was kind of low. And then he listed it online, but no mention of the paintwork or damage or the track history for that matter. In fact, he stated no accidents, clean Carfax, and he listed all all the positive things about the car, but none of the negative. And so I called him out on it and he said, well, I forgot. I was like, really? That's like a really big thing to forget, especially when I mentioned it in our conversation. But the funniest thing about it, and I think this is why, you know, so if somebody asked him specifically, is there any paintwork or damage repair? He probably would have gone, oh, uh, yeah, okay, sure, there was but he wasn't openly advertising it until he got called out on it. But the, 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 the thing I thought was funniest, and this is why I call him the shrewd negotiator, and, and this follows up on another question from last week that we said is pointless, was uh, you never ask somebody why they're selling a car. Now, he in his initial ad said that he was selling it because he was getting married. And the comments just lambasted him. Like, man... You shouldn't get married. Find a new wife. You know, don't sell your car. If she's making you sell your car, then that's not the girl you want to marry. Like, just elope. Like, all these different things. And a lot of car guys are pretty anti-marriage because they're just like, nah, I'm not, I'm not going to have a woman tell me what I can do with my toys and my money and all this stuff. And so, I mean, it's just the comments were littered with that. And so he deleted that from his for sale ad wisely. But I'm just like, that's, that's why you don't say it, because it doesn't matter. But also, I was privy to some inside information. It wasn't that inside, but I'm like, 
I think he's also lying because he bought the car two months ago. And I'm like, hold on. Did you not know two months ago that you were getting married? Like some people aren't good at planning. <laughs> like, hello there. So you forgot that there was paintwork and damage repair and apparently you forgot that you were getting married also. Yeah, he's just got some memory problems. It's all right. And two weeks ago, he asked to trade it in for a 997 GT3 because the car was like too harsh of a ride for the street and he wanted something more streetable. And I'm like, so two weeks ago, you weren't planning on getting married or I guess spending more money was okay, but not having this car. So I'm just like, this is why those questions don't matter because they don't get to the bottom of what the car is. I don't know why he was selling. It didn't matter. He had the car for two months and he knew nothing of, or he wasn't disclosing the actual history, but you know, if you had asked to see the service records, then you would have actually found out what you needed to know. Forget the rest of his five paragraph ad, which by the way, included these cars are only going up in value. Of course. As they're currently declining in value at this current time. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. They can keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. All right. Next three questions. Oh, man. We love the internet. Provides us so much wonderful information and entertainment. All right. Next, uh, one of the questions last week that you don't need to ask, where is the car from? The better question, which is yes, you do want to know where the car is from, but you can't just assume the condition based on that. What you want to know is where is the car from and how is the car stored? Because it's from a southern if it's from a southern climate, you want to know if it was stored in an air-conditioned garage because heat can kill a car. If it's from a northern climate, you want to know did it see salty roads? And that's really what people want to know when they ask that question. Well, is the car from Ohio? Yes. Oh, it must be rusty. Well, why don't you just ask me if it's friggin' rusty? So the better question is, how was the car stored? And was it driven in certain XYZ weather? Because if somebody's fastidious about storing their car and they live in Canada and they store it for the winter, it's probably way, way nicer than a car from Florida that never saw salty roads, but was stored outside all of its life. Because a lot of people down there don't have garages because, well, it doesn't snow. It doesn't get that cold. I'll just park my car outside in a carport. Yeah. And, you know, the paint gets eaten up. So, again, specific questions to get to the heart of what you want to know. Another question from last week that you don't need to ask, how long has it been for sale? I think a better question is, how long have you owned it? This goes back to our guy with the 996 GT3 because he had only owned it two months. Now, what I'm getting at is not what I think most people think. Most people want to know how long somebody's owned it because they assume that if you're selling it after a short period of time, that it's a hot potato game, that you're trying to get away from a problem. That's not necessarily the case, especially with high-end luxury cars that are toys. People change their mind. They buy a car they don't like. They get married, whatever. But asking how long you've owned it allows you to establish how well they know the car. Because if they've only owned it two months, whatever other question you ask them is kind of going to be irrelevant because... They don't know the answer. It's like, well, has a car ever been tracked? Well, I don't know. I've only had it two months. And I mean, I've I've asked people that too. I've I've had people make unequivocal statements that a car has never been tracked, that they've owned for a year out of its 12 years of life. And I'm like, did you interview all the other owners? Like, how can you make that statement? You can say it's never been tracked during my ownership, but you don't know about the past unless you actually know the owners. So knowing how long somebody's had the car establishes their depth of knowledge about the car. And then that determines what questions, you know, what value their answers are going to have to your questions. If they've owned it a month, it's like, well, I'm pointless asking you any questions. Who was a, <laughs> give me the phone number of the last guy. Um, and then another, another question we asked or that you don't need to ask that we addressed last week is, is it on consignment? The better question is what is the title status Now, this could be 
true with a private party or with a dealer, because if a dealer has a car on consignment, it could be a clear title with the owner. The owner could have it. The dealer could have it. Is it signed off to the dealer? Um, in a private party, you need to determine if there's a payoff or if they have clear title. And then you need to dig deeper as well. It, it's uh, a good idea to get the a copy of the title, run the title number, call the, the you know, their local state's um, title bureau, DMV, whatever. Make sure there's no uh, recent liens on the title because Carfax has a pretty good delay um, on information being reported. I think I checked Carfax on a car we had bought like two or three weeks after we had titled it in our name and it still didn't show up on Carfax. So somebody could get a duplicate title, um, file a lien on a title and it's not on Carfax and you won't know about it. So um, determining the current status of the title is very important. And then of course, if there is a payoff, determining what the steps are to uh, 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 perfect the lien to pay it off and make sure that your interests are covered and the title doesn't end up, you know, with a dealer who's going to hold on to it and, you know, maybe leverage the funds or, or, or whatnot. So you need to know what the title status is. And that's more, uh, more complex than just running a Carfax and, and getting a copy of the title. You should really do some, some additional digging. And with that, that leads us into our scaminator of the week because it has everything to do with title status. So with the scaminator, I am going to uh, Tyler's going to read off an ad and I'm going to hit the little drum when I uh, am clued in that it's a scam. Okay, so this is for a 2012 McLaren MP4-12C on Wholesale Car Club. Uh, so the ad starts with, hey, everyone, so this is a tricky situation. <laughs> <laughs> right off. Right that's, off the that's not a good start. The story is that I sold the current owner the car See last what year. Happened was. <laughs> <laughs> what ha- happened was. What happened was. Sold the current owner the car last year while working at a dealership. It was his first exotic, interesting choice, but is a responsible adult. His business recently took a hit, forcing him to sell, and he was hoping to get retail for it to minimize his loss. He was 14 days late on payment, thinking he had at least a month to sell it, and it was repoed. Professionally, not yanked out of his yard, lol. At this point, he has too much going on and just wants it paid off to avoid taking the hit on his credit. He's taking a huge loss. The car can be inspected for a few more days. The car has no issues. That's a scam. It's a McLaren (laughs) with no issues. That's no way. Impossible. They always have something wrong. (laughs) He does specify clean title down at the bottom, though. So it's got to be good, right? Uh, Oh, there's so many things wrong with this. Uh, First of all, a car doesn't get repoed after 14 days, unless it's 14 days after you've missed, like, two payments. I'd also like to know what professionally means. Like, it's not like somebody's storing an, a McLaren in their overgrown front lawn and somebody's like Jim Bob's going to bring himself. I a, mean, it, it is Florida. So <laughs> that's true. What it did we say be. about buying cars from Florida? It was probably parked in the carport. Uh, yeah, there's there's so many things wrong with this. I think everybody can can see through. I mean, you can smell this from a mile away, but there's a lot of problems with it. One, the repo story doesn't add up Two, if the car's already been repoed. It's owned by the bank. Like you've already taken the hit on your credit, right? Your credit sucks by the time they come and get the car. Um, It it would be more plausible if he said like, oh, they're trying to repo it and he's trying to sell it to like protect his equity or whatever, Um, which I actually was in the middle of a deal a number of years ago. That was that exact scenario. A guy was hiding a Carrera GT from the bank because they were trying to repo it, but he had like 150 k in equity that he didn't want to potentially lose. And so I negotiated to deal with the bank and with the buyer so that everybody was happy. And I kind of like escrowed the deal so that the guy got his equity, the bank got paid off, and the buyer got the car and the title because I knew where the car was, but the bank didn't. So like that seems like a scam on the surface of it, but 
like everything made sense because the bank wanted the car but didn't have the car and the guy wanted his equity. This doesn't make any sense because if they repoed it, the bank has a car and the bank is going to sell it. And the guy wouldn't want to try to help the bank out by selling it for less and taking a huge hit because in theory, the bank would sell it, sue him for the difference. It would go to collections and he could likely settle for less, you know, down the road. So, I mean, either way is credits screwed, but just for fun, I looked the guy up. Uh, who was representing this car on Wholesale Car Club. And Wholesale Car Club is a a Facebook group for um, people. It has nothing to do with dealers or wholesale or whatever. But um, anyway, this guy guy is a real trip. So the, the guy representing it was Julian Blondin, and he's from Hollandale, Florida. And uh, the... The most successful thing he's done, as far as I can tell, is a rap album or just like a rap single. And in talking about like becoming successful, okay. I mean, typical, you know, white rapper, just like, oh man, I'm I'm going to bust out of this trailer park and I'm going to make it from the street. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but all of his attempts so far have not been too great. So he formed Mad Exports Incorporated. Uh, that was that's got to stand for something, and I want to know what it is. Re- you, it was uh, registered at a post office. Level Up Beer and Wine LLC, which is inactive. I'd buy uh, some of that because he didn't file an annual report, so it was an admin disillusion. Let's see what else. Um, oh, he's got a ton of companies here. Oh man, where'd it go? Mad Yacht Expert. And make a deal LLC. So these are the oh, four Mad companies that I could find that I don't think do anything. And looking up his house, it's got a uh, yeah, it's got a Toyota Camry with a primered front fender rotting in the front yard. So I don't think this is a guy that you want repping a McLaren that's potentially in repo status. Nah, no low ballers. He knows what he's got. <laughs> the, the best thing I found, though, on some website was that they linked it to an online screen na- name of HWD White Boy BOI 954. <laughs> I had to look up what HWD stands for, and it is... Something along the lines of huge white dingleberry. Oh, <laughs> so this, this is a real class act. <laughs> this is the guy you want to buy a repo status McLaren from that isn't his. It's his friends. But there's no issues. There's yeah, no issues. Clean title. <laughs> oh, man, that was a real. This guy's a trip. That was a real special one. Thank you to Dan Doucette for the uh, for the lead there. Since I've been banned from Wholesale Car Club, <laughs> somehow this guy's a member. This is a real classy join that Wholesale Car Club. <laughs> oh, oh gosh, that is amazing. It is amazing. Oh. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna let you recover. Take a sip. <laughs> And uh, let our lovely listeners know that SwitchCast is brought to you by BoxCast. BoxCast is a live streaming company based in Cleveland, Ohio, and they serve broadcasters and viewers around the world. Their founders launched BoxCast back in 2013 with one purpose, and that is to make people a part of the experience. If you're looking for a live stream to live stream your podcast, church service, car show, sporting event, wedding, or even your cannonball attempt, BoxCast is an easy and flexible live streaming platform for organizations. BoxCast is so easy that we are broadcasting this show with a phone. With a bit of dongles, but still a phone. Head on over to switchcars.com slash BoxCast for your free trial. We've got some huge white dongles attached to the phone that are helping us out. Ethan's huge white dongles are all over the place over here. (laughs) They're impressive, producer Ethan. I gotta say. Hi, Mom. (laughs) I don't have another ad to read right now, so I'm going to need to ask you to pull yourself together. (laughs) Uh, All right. Next question that you don't need to ask, why are you selling it? Uh, We've beaten that one to death. The the better question, 
Because I think the assumption from that question is that there's something wrong with the car. So why don't you just ask, are there any specific things that do not work on the car? Or what is currently wrong with the car? What currently needs addressed? Now, that doesn't mean somebody won't lie to you. That I, I mean, all these questions assume that there's a modicum of truth uh, or, or ethics uh, to what, you know, you know, with the seller and, and what they're going to tell you. Um, and you can't get around people just boldfaced lying. I mean, people have even fabricated service records that I've seen, fabricated titles, the whole works. That's a whole nother story. But we're assuming that people are going to answer the questions you ask them. Um, so asking them directly, what doesn't work on the car? What does the car need? Um, does the car need tires? And again, this goes back to other things like when was the last service? Because you could say, what does a car need? They say, well, nothing. Okay, cool. Well, when was the last oil change? Oh, four years ago. Okay, so it needs an oil change. So then you, again, take them down this trail of making them address specific issues and getting to the bottom of what you actually want to know. So again, don't ask why they're selling it, because that's an assumption. Ask what you actually want to know. Another question from last week that you don't need to ask is how old was the owner? A better question is what other cars have you owned or something like that to basically get to know the owner. Who cares how old they are? You want to know their experience with cars because a young guy could have a ton of experience, could have gone to mechanic school, could really know his way around cars. An old guy could, you know, just be a rich guy that has a bunch of cars and just got into cars two years ago and bought them from the local dealer and has no friggin' idea what he's doing. And there's a saying, uh, buy the owner, not the car. I don't think I actually agree with this statement. I kind of go back and forth on it based on what that statement is actually saying. Um, because there's some terrible owners that have no clue, but that have really good cars that they just accidentally fell into. And then there's a lot of owners who think they're really great at taking care of cars because they, you know, armor all the dash all the time and stuff like that. So um, there's people who have an unrealistic sense of, of their own ability or inability to care for a car properly. But you can ask specific questions again, specific to try to judge the quality of the owner to see whether or not they really know how to care for a car. Um, and it's a crapshoot too. And I've totally gotten this wrong. I bought a, a BMW M3 for my wife and I bought it from a guy down in North Carolina. Again, I was shopping region because, okay, a car that's lived in North Carolina, it was not near the coast then it's never had a chance to be exposed to salt, so it can't be rusty. I was right there, but it wasn't stored properly. It had water spots and etching all over the paint, and the guy, even though he was an engineer and was very detailed and talked about all sorts of specific things in detail, he never friggin' serviced the car, and I got it back, and it blew a head gasket, and it needed a new top, and man, I talked to him for hours and I thought I had him pegged as this guy is detailed and knows what he's doing, especially because he's an engineer. Um, and he even told me the story about how there was a little bit of paintwork in the lower door because when he was in the parking lot, he accidentally shot his gun through the door. <laughs> Oops. And he was super embarrassed about it. And sure enough, I found the little like hole where they had repaired the, the leather trim at the bottom of the door. And yeah, he was honest about that. But again, he just, he didn't know how, what taking good care of a car meant. And I misjudged his character totally and made the assumption that because he was an engineer that he was also good mechanically, which was a bad assumption. So um, yeah, try your best, ask the right questions and maybe that'll work out. And the final question that you don't need to ask is what's your bottom line, right? So once you've determined that this is the car for you and you want to try to buy it, now it becomes a matter of landing on the right price. So what questions can you ask to get the right price? Uh, I think a better tactic, at least from a seller's perspective, I'd rather just have somebody make an offer because then I know if they're 
completely smoking crack and wasting my time or if they're really interested in the car. But at least I know they're they're trying to buy this car and they want this car and then we can commence negotiations from there. But if you want to feel out the seller, because some sellers will take it really personally if you lowball them, and everybody's definition of lowball is different. Um, you know, I there's a guy asking fifteen grand for a Honda S two thousand one time. I offered him twelve five, and you would have thought I called his wife, you know, fat and ugly. Like he was so pissed. I didn't think that was a lowball, but to him it was. So a better question, other instead of what's your bottom line, would be. Are you open to offers? And I think that's a better question than are you negotiable or how negotiable are you? Because how negotiable are you, again, is is getting into the realm of nonspecifics. And uh, it's it's a relative question. Nobody knows how negotiable are you. What does that even mean? Um, So the better question is, are you open to offers? Because if they're firm, they're firm and they'll say no. But you want sellers to answer things in the affirmative, right? That's an old sales tactic. You want to ask questions that have a positive answer. So if you can get them to say yes, even though it's a negative thing for them that they're coming off their price, um, then that opens you up to say, okay, great, you are negotiable. Then you can go in and say, here's where I'm looking to be in terms of price. Um, So don't ask what your bottom line is. A lot of people don't know. Ask, are you open to offers? And then friggin' make an offer if it's the right car for you. So there you go. There's some of the questions you really should ask when you're buying a car. Uh, some of the reasons why you should ask it. Again, ask specific questions to get to the bottom of what you actually want to know. Don't ask indirect questions. And uh, all the best in buying your car and, you know, Go look at the car yourself. Have some help. Have some expert eyes. Uh, use every resource available to you possible. And even then, it's still pretty much a crapshoot. <laughs> you have about a eighty percent chance of success. <laughs> so cross your fingers and good luck. Yeah, I mean that's the thing that buying cars is a crapshoot. I've bought I don't know a few thousand cars over my lifetime, and you know I miss a lot. It just, it happens. And sometimes they're little misses, like "Ah, I a little bit overpaid or I, you know, didn't realize this was scraped or thought the car was going to be a little bit nicer. And sometimes they're huge misses, but um, yeah, the the fewer cars you buy, the more careful you want to be because you can't absorb it. You know, dealers can afford to miss one out of 10 times because they can absorb it with the other nine. But if this is your dream car and the only car you're going to buy for 10 years, you can't afford to get scammed. So make sure you do all of your homework. And if you're not sure what it is, ask somebody, hire an expert. I'm available. (laughs) Consulting work. That wasn't on my list of ads. (laughs) (laughs) all right with that in mind do we want to head on over to the wall of shame oh this one's pretty good i wish making fun uh, of people asking dumb questions (laughs) i wish the mark spence wasn't off doing famous people stuff so he could read this uh i thought about this entire time i've been thinking about trying to do an impression of him for it but i'm not gonna bother because it it is is in all caps caps, it is just all yelling (laughs) somebody's yelling through the internet So you, Doug, you got this from somewhere. Uh, Somebody messaged you, sent you an email, whatever. But it is, Doug, were you drinking when you placed this ad? I hope so. Or did your mom used to bang you over the head with a frying pan? There must be a reason for your insanity. (laughs) I I do not think this person was Jamaican. I think they meant mom, but mom was in there. Mon. (laughs) Yeah. What's the verbal verbal, uh, version of sick? Sick? (laughs) S-I-C? Oh, yeah. Reading it exactly as it is. I wasn't going to fix that. Oh, man. Some people. So what is this? What car was this for? Uh, That was actually... So that was way back when I was advertising for like pre-orders and allocations. And that was before the Corvette ZR1 was the Corvette ZR1. And they codenamed it the Blue Devil. It was a Z06 Blue Devil. So I had placed some ads for, you know, pre-orders for that at who knows how much over sticker. And... People don't like that, especially Corvette people, man. They do not like over MSRP. And uh, so, yeah, I got, I got a fair amount of hate mail for, for those ads. Yeah. I guarantee you that guy didn't end up with a car, though. 
least not for another year or two. Oh, no. He got it five years later for $1,000 below sticker. Exactly. And he told everybody <laughs> that he told them so. 100%. <laughs> Meanwhile, the rest of the people enjoyed their cars for five years and enjoyed every minute of the depreciation. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry, yep. I've been interrupting your drinks. Go ahead, take a swig. <laughs> if <laughs> you're bubbly water. drinks because I can't shut up. <laughs> I got to say, though, I'll give you a chance to shut up. I was, uh, for those of you just joining in, we were, there's an, a constant argument between Doug and I between Liquid Death and other sparkling mineral water brands. So I looked this up. If I was to go to Target right now and buy 12 of those Perrier's that you're drinking or 12 of my Liquid Deaths, I would spend $2 more on my Liquid Deaths. For, for a 12 pack or per can? For a 12-pack. So you divide oh, okay. two that's by 12. Not, that's that's like, not that bad. So you're over here th- acting like I'm rolling in it, buying these canned water. <laughs> and you're right here with me, bud. <laughs> these are facts that people really need to know. If you have any sparkling water questions, throw those in to the comment flow, and Tyler will I answer just gotta, them. If you have any automotive <laughs> questions, throw them in, and I'll answer them. I just got to stick up for myself over here. <laughs> I got to lay down and take this. All right, so we want to uh, catch up on a few things that we've discussed over the past few weeks and some automotive news that's relevant to those things. Uh, The market is ever-changing, and a few weeks ago we talked about some dealers who have in the past and are currently experiencing financial struggles, and I think they're... uh, more to come based on the economic news that that's happening. Um, but we got an email from the Ohio BMV lately regarding temporary tags and the issuance of multiple temporary tags. So one temporary tag is good for 45 days. Um, I think legally we have 60 days to produce a title for the buyer, uh, which is odd that there's 15 day difference, but whatever. Um, so a lot of people will issue multiple temporary tags if you can't get an e-check, if the title gets delayed for whatever reason. Um, but uh, we see it a lot on Nissan Altimas in East Cleveland for who knows what reasons. But I thought that was interesting timing because we're seeing all these dealers go down and one of the tactics Carvana uses, whether it's on purpose or not, and one of the things that some of some of these other dealers have done is they're sell, buying cars or taking cars on consignment that have a payoff, selling them, taking the cash from the buyer, but not completing the payoff to the banks. They're basically floating the money. I don't know if they're making the payments for the for the sellers so that they don't know that it hasn't been paid off. But one way or another, they're scamming the system and using other people's money as float illegally. And so to get away with that, they'll issue multiple temporary tags. So I thought that was really, really coincidental that we just got this email. This is a new rule they've initiated. And I have a feeling it's related to a lot of dealers buying time with their customers, just issuing more and more temporary tags. And I think that is a foreshadowing of what may be coming with some of these dealers, that they are really, really stretched, really leveraged. And we're going to see some, uh, I guess, cleansing within the the automotive dealer space. So maybe completely unrelated. They may just be, you know, who knows? (laughs) It might be dealers down in the ghetto that are selling cars that don't even have titles and they've been doing it forever and they finally got around to dealing with it. But I, I think it's related. Now, on the flip side of that, the uh, Black Book, Mannheim, whatever reports say that wholesale used car prices jumped twice. So all of February and I think the beginning of March, uh, wholesale used car prices are up about 5%. So frick. Don't listen to my advice about the market. I've been wrong like all the time. And uh, yeah, I've been, I don't know, about as accurate as a weatherman. But um, yeah, so so car prices are up um, despite what's happening in the market. Now, there's a number of different contributing factors that we could uh, blame. New car prices are up across the board. Um, But I think it's more the fact that uh, I think we need to not 
assume there's a correlation between the wholesale used car prices and the overall retail market, right? Because dealers are operating on speculation. Dealers have to have things on their lot in order to sell them. And there's two things coming up that are traditionally uh, a, a selling season for dealers. One is tax return season. Two, it's spring. Everybody wants to buy cars in spring. Cars go up in value in spring. Used car sales go up. We love April and May. We'd sell convertibles and cheap sports cars like crazy. So I think the dealers are basically just betting on those two markets being hot for them. But I've seen this before. I think it was 2010 was the only time I saw this before where the wholesale car market was booming in February and March and it just the retail market wasn't there. They just all took it in the shorts. So I'm not making that prediction. I'm just saying that because wholesale car prices are up does not mean that retail car prices will necessarily follow because dealers don't drive the market. Consumers do. And then I want to recap some of the auctions from Amelia Island. We were down there for the weekend of uh, first weekend of March. It was really, really incredible. There was four different auction houses selling millions and millions of dollars worth of cars there. And there were some really, really crazy numbers and some not so crazy numbers as well. Um, but the, let's see, we had Bonhams, we had RM Sotheby's, uh, Broad Arrow Auctions, which is a fairly new player and Gooding. Now, there's a little bit of drama there because um, RM was the official auction house of the Amelia Island Concours for the last few decades, and they were right on premises in the Ritz-Carlton. Now, Bill Warner sold the Amelia Island Concours to Haggerty a couple years ago. Broad Arrow Auctions was bought out by Haggerty last year. So last year, RM was still there. This year, Haggerty, of course, expected... Uh, inserted their own auction company in the place of RM. I don't know how the conversation went, but they basically said, RM, you can't have the Ritz anymore. You're no longer the official auction house of the Amelia Island Concours, which is now just the Amelia. And if they follow Facebook's footsteps. Soon it will just be Amelia. <laughs> um, anyway, so th there's some drama there. There's some egos and uh, I think the owner of RM is a little bit slighted. So they hosted a auction down the street and it was fantastic. It was very well attended. They were both good. But looking at the numbers, Broad Arrow sold $31 million worth of cars on Saturday. On Saturday at the exact same time, RM sold $70 million, so more than double. So I think RM gave him one good last middle finger on the way out. Whew. However, there was actually there's two nearly identical Jaguar XJR 15s. Two out of the 27 in the world. Right. <laughs> we're, in, we're there. So one was at RM and one was at Broad Arrow and they both had short miles. They were both, you know, one was 700 miles. The other was like a thousand miles or something like that. Very, very low miles. Now, I did not research the history, so I don't know if one had a little bit of a story or the other was more original or what. I'm sure Matt Ivanhoe from the Cultivated Collector could tell me. But, so RM sold $70 million total, brought Arrow $31 million. However, the identical Jaguar XJR 15s flip-flopped. So the one at RM sold for $1.05 million, while the one at Broad Arrow brought one point two. Just a couple hours apart, 150K difference. So there may be a reason for that, but I thought it was an interesting observation because I watched both of them sell uh, just a few hours apart. Anyway, uh, now RM is uh, hiring Bill Warner, the ex-CEO of Amelia Island Concours, to basically do a, com uh, a competitive event Competitive is not the right word. It's not a race, but an event. Like a competing event? Competing. Thank you. <laughs> My words are failing me tonight. Uh, in Miami, the exact same weekend as the Amelia Island Concours. So RM is going to host an auction, and they're hiring Bill Warner to do a show. So now it's like it's like a you know church split or something. <laughs> like, 
Which show are you going to go to? Who are you loyal to? God, I don't want to go all the way to Miami. No, I don't either. I'm going to stick it to Amelia Island. Heck yes. Yeah, it's that's tradition. I, I think they're going to have a little bit of an uphill battle with that. I think it's a big ego move, but... Man, just do it the weekend before, the weekend after or something. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I can't put myself in their shoes. Anyway, back to you, Tyler. Yes. Uh, do we want to roll to the Corvette curmudgeon and get yourself all prepared? It's almost my bedtime. Come on, hurry us up. <laughs> I don't think the Corvette curmudgeon drinks any sort of carbonated water. He doesn't understand what that <laughs> stuff's like. <laughs> Tap water. <laughs> So uh, this week for the Corvette Curmudgeon, we wanted to ask a uh, very on brand for the week. What uh, what kind of questions do you ask when you are looking to purchase a Corvette for yourself? Well, uh, I got to know if it was museum delivery or not. And uh, definitely ask if it's ever been in the rain. Uh, actually, re- really, if it's ever been wet. Uh, I don't can't can't wash them with water or anything. I, my Corvette's never ever been wet. Took it I'd, right from museum delivery, drove it home on a seventy degree day with no humidity, and uh, put it in my garage. And I wipe it off with a California car duster. So if I was buying a car from somebody else, they would have to be the original owner. And uh, yep, yep, make sure it's never been in the rain. Would you ever ask about any maintenance records or servicing or anything like that? Well, no, probably wouldn't have more than 5,000 miles on, so it wouldn't need any service. Not I wanna, even like an I'd oil change? I want to know which shows they went to, though, and if they won their class. So if they won the C5 manual convertible class, then, you know, that would that would make it more valuable for me. But they'd still be asking too much because everybody's freaking always asking too much. And how would you expect them to wash their car if it's not getting wet? You well, you know, don't get dirty. No, all right. You know that's a fair point. But if you're driving at home, you it's got a Chevy get... Cavalier outside to get dirty. <laughs> What's your problem? Why do you keep asking me these stupid questions? All righty. Well, uh, thank you very much uh, to the Corvette curmudgeon for enlightening us again. Uh oh. Speaking of which, I thought that when you're talking about liquid death, I think that's what happens when you open the the, the radiator cap when your car's warm. That's what comes out of there. Uh, that, that, what that, that stuff is? They bottle it up? No, I don't think that. It's just water, just similar to what you're drinking right now with bubbles in it. But you, you know, pay for that water? <laughs> I do. You paid for How that? How much? <laughs> I don't know. It was like 15, 16 bucks for a 12. What? That's a month of cable. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Thank you very much, Corvette Curmudgeon. Before we get you going <laughs> into other topics, we don't need your opinions on... <laughs> Things other than Corvettes, I don't think. That's a, that is a slippery slope. All right. Switchcast is... Oh. Why? Who did you vote for? <laughs> uh, Celebrity Machines is a proud sponsor of Switchcast. They offer more than 250 d- <laughs> different licenses. Different screen accurate license plates as they appeared in movies and TV shows like Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, The Fast and the Furious, Breaking Bad, and so many more. (laughs) Celebrity Machines also makes our dealer insert plates as well as our commemorative 2539 plates from the fastest cannonball run ever. So visit CelebrityMachines.com for more info and use promo code SWITCHCAST to save 25.39% at checkout. Uh, I would use that promo code now. It's not. I'm not sure how much longer that's going to be active <laughs> after that. Yeah, I think Father's Day is coming up. I <laughs> <Yeah>. oh. <laughs> wonder if they have Corvette flag license plates. I bet you you know a guy that could get them made if they don't. You could have an entire run of Corvette curmudgeon <laughs> plates. Well, they do have the William Hung plate from uh, the Corvette from Todd Packer in the office. Oh, okay. So that's a good... That's a good Corvette curmudgeon plate. <laughs> Probably more accurate uh, this week more than ever. Uh, the Corvette curmudgeon is also brought to you unwittingly by the Corvette Buy Sell Trade Group on Facebook, your source for cranky boomers, overpriced Corvettes, and reinforced stereotypes. <laughs> They've been pretty tame lately. The moderators must be doing their job. It's been really boring and no source of entertainment whatsoever. <laughs> they're seeing they're not because i'm yeah. still a member so as soon as one of them accidentally finds this podcast you're going to be banned i hammered them on a vin wiki video on a couple of them that got a lot of views one of them even got posted to that 
that group and shortly removed, <laughs> but I'm still there. It's amazing. <laughs> All Should right. have a high low on when Doug gets banned from the Corvette buy sell trade group on Facebook. <laughs> Uh, do we get any questions about fancy water? Uh, no. So <laughs> we did have Devin in chat say, is it still $2 a can when you shop price and volume? And I do have to correct. It's not $2 per can. It's $2 for 12 cans. So I don't want to do that math. It's less than 20 cents a ca- uh, container difference. Yeah, I to can't your do Perrier. that. I can't do that math. <laughs> but uh, we do have a couple of good questions. Uh, Devin also asked uh, earlier... If a car has had a lot of owners, is it possible to find out if it has been washed of a rebuilt status? Uh, yes. I, I mean, Carfax is helpful there because if it was rebuilt, it will show that it was rebuilt in the past. Um, when you wash a title, it just changes the current title. It doesn't erase the history that it had a rebuilt title. So Carfax is pretty good in that regard, uh, unless it's an older car that may not have reported, you know, if it was an 80s car and Carfax wasn't collecting data from that state then, um, then, then that's a little more difficult. You can also, if you're concerned about that or if you have reason to believe that it was, you can look at certain kind of clues. Did it go out of the country and come back? Did it go through certain states that are known for being easier to wash titles? I think Arizona and Florida are two of the easier ones to wash titles. Um, so, yeah, it's it's. I don't think it's very common anymore in the world of electronic everything. And you have Nimvitas, which is a national motor vehicle title information system, which stores all of this stuff. So once it's branded... Like you go to another state and try to title it without the brand. And they're like, no, there's a brand in Nimvitas. Like it's going to come back. So you can research all of those records. Um, I think EpicVin is a site that pulls from Nimvitas as well to show if there's any brand history. Uh, and I think that's actually more valuable than Carfax, but it's a very, you know, it's, it's a lesser known resource. So epicvin.com we should get them as a sponsor that would be great we can yeah. put a uh, producer slash sales guy ethan on that yes <laughs> he wears yes. many hats the corvette curmudgeon hat is not one of them but he wears many <laughs> hats all right anthony uh has a bit of an interesting situation uh so this is say, it a mclaren that was 14 days late on its less interesting repost. than that less interesting okay <laughs> probably more real though okay Fire away. Uh, so they have a 2011 E90 M3 with a weird title thing. <laughs> <laughs> is, okay. It starts this out kind of the same. Yeah. Purchased new in 2011, but wasn't imported until 2013 with 23,000 miles on it. You thought it might be a, uh, you thought it might be a military guy. Not sure. 100% yes. what that means, probably. Uh, no, that that's probably it. We, I have seen that before. Somebody asked us about this a couple weeks ago, and we actually had a car in our inventory that was the same thing. Um, people can do European delivery, and sometimes they'll leave the car over there for a while, or they'll take a two-year European vacation. Uh, somebody stationed in the military can buy a U.S. spec car over there, take delivery of it there, drive it, register it there for a couple years and then bring it over um so yeah that that is f- relatively common um i've seen it once or twice firsthand and heard about it as well um so yeah that would probably explain that i don't think there's any big red flags to that as long as it is legitimately a u.s car so just check the vin number that you know the first five digits will tell you if it's a Euro- u.s or european specification do you have any recommendations they ask on how to find more info or is it just kind of checking the VIN and praying? Um, I mean, you can try contacting previous owners and stuff, but I think the recent history is more important once you determine that it is a U.S. spec car, which you can do with the VIN. Um, so look up the VIN and again, you know, even if you don't know how you know, what kind of life the car lived in those two years when it's blank on Carfax, you can determine that using tools like paint meters and inspections and getting service history and, you know, looking at the car to judge condition, that'll tell you about how it was cared for. Nice. I uh, got one more here. Uh, Christopher mentions, uh, it's not really a question, uh, but they say definitely tell the dealer what MMR is. They love that. 
I'm a bit of a noob. What is MMR? Oh, like when you're negotiating, tell the dealer. That's a, I hate that. Everybody <laughs> does. MMR is uh, Mannheim Market Report. Mannheim is the largest wholesale auction facility in the nation. And their MMR is based off of transactional data from all of their wholesale auctions. So it's reasonably accurate uh, price gauge on cars. Reasonably, I say. All of the metrics are are reasonably accurate but yeah dealers are dealers really love it when customers come in they're like well mmr is this and it's like okay great like go in and buy a car at auction and recondition it yourself and get a dealer license etc cetera, etc cetera. like you know nobody goes to the pizza joint and says wow you know i i can buy cheese at heinen's for two dollars <laughs> why am i paying eight for this pizza so, yeah, or I, I mean, I guess a more accurate thing, you know, I went to GFS and here's the pricing for, for this, right? Like, okay. Yeah. So, that's well, true. that brings us to the props and flops of the week brought to you by Switch Cars. Switch Cars is the enthusiast's dealership where we buy, sell, consign, service, and store only cars that we like ourselves. Check out our handpicked inventory at switchcars.com. And our pick of the week from Switch Cars Inventory is a Porsche 944 track car in Metro Parks green and gold. That's right. It's metallic oh. green with gold wheels. Whew. Kind I've been of hot yellowish. and bothered this whole night. Just uh, I just I know it's over there like behind the wall. I'm staring at a 968 and I know there's a green 944 <laughs> just not far behind it. It's I'm feeling some type of way, Doug. <laughs> it's it's cool. So. Yeah, a Porsche curmudgeon will probably say that it's peridot green with Vysak gold wheels, but it ain't. Someone just really loved the earth and had their car painted in the Summit Metro Parks colors. And my friend's actually a, a, a police officer in Summit Metro Parks. I think he's off. He's on duty now. So I sent him the photo of it. And I was like, do you recognize these colors? And he's like, should I? And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So if you want to go green, you can buy this Porsche 944 track car. It's very green. And at some point along the line, somebody that owned it made lots of donations to the Metro Park. So there's there's your carbon offset prepaid for you. Speaking of carbon offsets, that lead us leads us into flop of the week. I didn't plan that, but man, I wish I did. That was good. That was pretty slick. We're going to slide <laughs> the, on out of here. <laughs> the pole to pole electric vehicle expedition. That's right. Some uh, 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 virtue signalers are going to. There's a BMW joke there about virtue turn signaling, but anyway, I haven't haven't. As long as you fill up yet. your virtue signaling <laughs> fluid, you should be good to go. Uh, yes. Anyway, some virtue signalers are uh, taking an EV specially built for them to be the first people to drive from the North Pole to the South Pole. And the irony, or not the irony, the 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 puns are not lost on me that they're going from pole to pole with an electric vehicle. I got a charge out of that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> anyway, but at the same time, I hate this. It's stupid because they're all about like, oh, I, oh gosh, what was the, I don't have the website up in front of me, but they are saying they are doing it in order to save the climate or something to that effect. And I'm like, hold on, how does this save the climate? You're out there basically using energy. Okay. You're doing it with batteries, but how is that energy produced? And oh, by the way, how many combustion slash diesel powered, you know, dirty burning support vehicles do you have, including ships and planes to get your vehicle from these remote ice islands that you can't actually drive from? Like, yeah, okay, I'm driving pole to pole. You can't drive across a friggin' ocean to Antarctica. So I remember there was a. Um, the the electric bike cross-country record, they were doing a quote-unquote cannonball, and they were trying to raise awareness and say how they were trying to prove the, the viability of electric bikes. But they each had diesel truck support vehicles. And I'm like, come on, this is such a sham. Now, the, the pole-to-pole EV people are at least smart enough to not talk about specifically all of the support vehicles they're going to have to have, but I know they will. And they're going to burn a lot of friggin' carbon in order to do this. But they did kind of allude to it in that they said that they were going to be 
purchasing their carbon offsets or through some, you know, whatever work they were doing, going and meeting with school children and doing all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, you don't need to purchase carbon offsets if you're actually saving the environment. Like, you know what a good way to do it and not purchase carbon offsets is stay the frick home. That would be a great way to save the environment. You know, pollute with your friggin', you know, the carbon coming out of your mouth after you spew this virtue signal crap about EVs. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I I mean, yeah, if, if they're supposed to be advertising sustainable, clean energy, what what do they have to offset? Like, they're my offset. I'm out here <laughs> polluting <laughs> like crazy. I need them to not do anything so that. Yeah. Anyway, it's such a sham, such a sham. Okay, well, enough enough of that. The prop of the week, once again, just goes to a person. It's not anything in the news, because I feel like everything in the news this week was just kind of crappy, and, and uh, yeah, there's a lot to make fun of. But prop of the week goes to my friend Donadel Dariush, who was the spotter, uh, the third man for our record cannonball, 25 hours, 39 minutes. And he sent Arnie and I this incredible gift. These are not reproductions made by Celebrity Machines, our beloved sponsor. But this is a legitimate Virginia plate cannonball that was on his car. And it's ironic because Virginia is the most impossible state to speed in. Radar detectors are illegal. And if you go over 85 miles an hour, it is an automatic reckless driving and you'll get stinking arrested so the non-cannibal state virginia uh he sent us this wonderful gift and gifts are meaningful and so the prop of the week goes to donadell thank you for that and we hope everybody has friends in their life like that anyway on that note, that brings us to the conclusion of our show. Thank you for being with us. Uh, we will not be here live next week, but we'll be back in two weeks with a special guest, a local uh, car expert that we're privileged to have on the show. And we look forward to seeing you there. So thank you to my co-host, not my co-host. I'm sorry. Well, it's sort of my co-host. Did I just get guest. promoted? Oh. I'm reading from the script here. <laughs> I'm thinking guest. Thank you to my co-host, Tyler Sanders. Thank you to my producer, Ethan Huffnagel. To our sponsors, Boxcast, Nuts for Sticks, Switch Cars, Celebrity Machines, and Stephen Holm Woodworking. Our bumper music is provided by Emily and Ivory. You can stream their full album on Spotify or SoundCloud. This episode will be available next Monday in audio format wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for SwitchCast. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday. Well, not next Wednesday. We'll see you in two weeks at 8 p.m. as we look forward to edifying, educating, and entertaining you on the drive of your life. <laughs>